I felt like the book was quite direct. You, you know, sometimes you read these books about history and they like couch a lot of things and like, oh, some senior State Department official. And like, no, no, he's like, no, this is this guy's name. And like, this guy sucks. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay. Medieval crimes are being committed. I come with clean hands. Victims of horrific crimes want justice. We don't have anything better than this. This is Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast with Janet Anderson and Stephanie Vandenberg. All rise. Hi, Janet. Hi, Steph. This week, we're doing things a bit differently. Instead of the usual episode, we wanted to give our listeners a taste of the book club we have over at Patreon. You've heard us plugging it in previous episodes. We're trying to raise a bit of money for our producer, Margarita, who helps put together our shows. Currently, we get some money from Justice Info. Thank you. And that's helped pay for all the equipment and it keeps going for the website and other bits and pieces. And sometimes we do some paid commissions, which is great. But to be honest, we don't do this for the money. Yeah, it's fine. We love this. It helps our regular jobs as well. But for our producers and interns, it's a different story and we want to do a bit more for them. So we set up a special Patreon account with bonus content, a book club with friend of the show, Molly Quill. And honestly, this was the perfect week to put it out. Uh, Steph is still stuck at home. Uh, she's been going through some surgery and she's in recovery and she's trying to pick up her, all of her work uh, responsibilities, uh, not just this. And I'm trying to both work and to organize a very complicated cross-border house move, including dogs and a lot of stuff. Uh, so planning a new recording this week and editing a whole new episode was just too much for us. So what we have for you is the first of our book lips meetings where we talk about Reed Brody's book, To Catch a Dictator, about the long road to justice for the victims of former Chadian president Hissen Habre. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting book and it's a great story as well. So it was uh, nice to have a chance to talk it through. And maybe the current context of the Putin arrest warrants kind of throws into relief a bit what it's like to try and put a former head of state on trial. I mean, a bit of hope, a bit of caution. It was a long road um, and it also needed an enormous amount of political will to make it happen. So enjoy. Welcome to the Asymmetrical Haircuts War Criminals Book Club. Court officer, call the case, please. Hi, this is Janet. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast Asymmetrical Haircuts. Hi, this is Stephanie. I am the other co-host of Asymmetrical Haircuts. And uh, in my other daily life, I'm a journalist for Reuters. Hi, my name is uh, Molly Quell, and I am not sure why I'm here. I sort of woke up this morning in a bathtub full of ice and was told to uh, be on the podcast. <laughs> I dragged her here from the Peace Palace, kicking and screaming, but she has read the book and there's notes. So uh, we're going to go with that. Uh, she knew about this in advance. I did. I was prepared in advance. In my daily life, I cover international law for Courthouse News Service and have visited the Asymmetrical Haircuts podcast once or twice before, I believe. Friend of the pod. Yeah, we should say welcome to everybody to the War Criminals Book Club. Is that what we're calling it, Steph? Yep, we're calling it's it a great name. the War Criminals Book Club. There was some discussion if it should be War Criminals and War Crimes so that we should we could branch out, but uh, War Criminals Book Club is I nice think the War Criminals short. are going to keep us busy. Exactly. <laughs> they seem to be prolific. And they tend to commit war crimes, so that that's kind of implied in the title. Yes. So. We're going to discuss Reed Broder's book, his latest book. Do you want to say a couple of words about it, Steph? 
Yeah, so Reed Brody's book is To Catch a Dictator, The Pursuit and Trial of Hissène Habré. He presented it at the last Assembly of State Parties where Janet uh, introduced him and he had a kind of round of interviews and he came to talk to us about it, at which point I, to my shame, must say I hadn't read the book, but Janet did. But now we read it because we thought it's it's really quite a good read for a kind of human rights book in the sense that you don't have to be a total law nerd to actually enjoy the pace of the story, I think. So before we go any further, why don't we read the blurb on the back of the book? I think you've got it in your hand, Molly, and just say what uh, the publishers want to tell us about it in order to sell it to us. Yeah, the title is To Catch a Dictator, and the subhead is The Pursuit and Trial of Hassan Habre. And the blurb says, what does it take to make a dictator answer for his crimes? Hassan Hambre, the former despot of Chad, had tortured, terrorized, and killed on a horrific scale over eight bloody years in power, all while enjoying full American and Western support. After Habre's overthrow, his victims and their supporters were determined to see him held responsible for his atrocities. Their quest for justice would be long, tense, and unnerving, but they would not back down. To Catch a Dictator is a dramatic insider's account of the hunt for Habre and his momentous trial. It keeps going. The human rights lawyer Reed Brody recounts how he and an international team of investigators, legal experts, and victims worked across three continents to unearth evidence and witnesses, petition courts, and skeptical governments, and rally public opinion. They faced many obstacles and constant threats. One of Brody's chatty and colleagues was gravely injured in a bomb attack, and another had to seek asylum in the United States. Habre fought back bitterly, drawing on secret bank accounts and extensive political connections to preserve his life of luxurious exile. Yet Brody and his allies ultimately triumphed. Habre became the first former head of state to be convicted of crimes against humanity in the courts of another country. This fast-paced and suspenseful book shows that there is nothing inevitable about the impunity that too often protects the powerful and that even the worst tyrants can be brought to justice. So this is how the publisher sums up the book. So what did we think of it? I was somewhat nervous doing this book as the first one because I like Reed. He has worked for a long time, still works for Human Rights Watch. I, I know his stuff on Twitter. I see him posting things about, you know, human rights and like international law and all this kinds of stuff. I met him at the ASP this year. He was really lovely. And I was very nervous that if his book was terrible, I was going to have to come on this podcast and be like, Reed is great, but this book sucks. And fortunately, the book does not suck, which I was very happy about. It's extremely well written, I thought, especially considering that I think a lot of books written by activists and this sort of things, you know, the the sort of skill set that it takes to do what he does or what he did in this book is not per se the same skill set as writing a good book. And so I think sometimes the writing quality of these books is not great. So I was super happy with that. One thing he told me was that he really wanted this book to be read beyond the field, beyond kind of the narrow group of people that that, that we are. I think he told me that privately rather than publicly, but I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying it. And therefore, he tried to write it in those terms so that it would get potentially a wider public interested. He was a bit concerned that maybe the way he's got it published, I think it's an academic publisher, correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. Columbia, I think. Yeah, Columbia. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, it's great to have somebody publish your book, but he was concerned that maybe it meant that it wouldn't necessarily get the kind of exposure that it should have. Yeah, I think, but he gave it a very catchy name to catch a dictator. If you see that in, in the bookstore, that's kind of interesting. 
So I think he does try to, to really do it for the masses. I have to say, short note, that Molly and I are recording in the Humanity Hub, and there's a lot of people working there on Monday. So you might hear some chairs scraping and things, uh, people walking around us, because we're in a different recording room than we usually are. The other thing that I was going to say, thinking about it, was I was concerned that it would be very much a replay of the kinds of things that I've seen about Reed rather than by Reed, where Reed is your kind of central character, the the man of the hour, you know, the big American. The Indiana Jones of, yeah. Yeah, off he goes and he's the one who's, who's found it. He's the one who's leading it. He's the one who's doing this. And it's really a narrative that, I don't think Reed subscribes to, but also that I'm not comfortable with because, you know, we've had enough of all these men running tribunals and investigating stuff. I mean, that's part of what the podcast is about, is making sure that we show how many women are behind the scenes doing all of this work. I mean, I felt that the book didn't show that. The book showed that it was a collective effort. But what did you think? I really liked the, the so the first intro that you read in the book is from the lawyer, the the Chadian lawyer who's injured in this horrific grenade attack, uh, Jacqueline Mudena. Yeah, and she writes this this introduction that I is so great because it does not do any of the things that you often see talented and accomplished women do, which is sort of scale back their role in this. She's really like in this introduction. I did this. It was great. I am super great. I have to learn to stop talking with my hands because I'm banging on the table and we're going to get complaints about the noise. And I was extremely pleased to have that be the opening sentences of this book. I think Brody did a really good job minimizing the white savior sort of complex thing that this story could very easily lend itself towards. I think he grapples with it very well. I think he really tries to push forward the victims and the activists in the story and put them into the moments, the the pivotal moments, the prominent moments. I was also quite nervous about that and sort of reading yet another book about how like some dude saved everybody. And I think he does a good job. I think it's impossible to extract the situation from, you know, the history of colonialization and all of this other stuff. I mean, you you simply cannot have this story without dealing with that to some degree. But I think he does a really good job in sort of not centering himself, despite the fact that the book is really about like his quixotic, well, it didn't end up being quixotic in the end, but quest to sort of bring Habre to justice. Absolutely. And he takes you through that where he shows that in the beginning, he kind of liked being the Indiana Jones of human rights and to have this, uh, there's a documentary about him called The Dictator Hunter. And he also is quite, I guess, humbles himself a little in the book by saying, you know, I kind of like that, but I realized and I was, I was going to learn that that wasn't very good to put myself so much at the forefront and it really didn't do me any justice because this is a 20-year time span from starting to advocate for this till this finally happened and he really kind of makes it clear along along the book that he he also had to find his role and then and then learn his role and is like molly says really good at championing the people and the victims and the people on the ground that really made it happen so yeah i also thought that was good and i thought it was good that he was not afraid to show his own i guess also a bit of his pride and his ego that took a little bit of a knockback and i also extremely enjoyed the foreword by jacqueline modena 
where she starts with saying that Reed is an atheist, and then at the end also gives thanks to the it's Lord like, oh, God Lord Almighty, God. where yeah, it's like, I liked that. I like that a lot. It was a little like a little sting. I'm writing it to Reed's book. I know he doesn't believe in it, but I do. So I'm going to put it in my foreword. So yeah. I, I also got a kick out of that. Yeah, I think in some ways he does not come out looking great in this book. Like that he really, I think, is quite honest about his own shortcomings, the bad decisions that he makes along the way. There's a number of times where he writes that, like, you know, in retrospect, I should have done this differently, whatever. I, I think he's quite sort of forthright about how this was not a perfect journey, that there was not some sort of beautiful kind of narrative here where everything he did was like great and brilliant. I think he does a good job sort of making himself look kind of bad sometimes, which I think is good that like, you know, we should not be reflecting on stories like this as if they are like perfect encapsulated, like little narratives that are, you know, fit for, you know, Brad Pitt to play you in the movie, because that's how this kind of stuff is often portrayed in the cinema and stuff. And I, I think it's nice to kind of see some of the like missteps and errors and kind of, yeah, mistakes and difficulties. And the story itself isn't completely over, is it? Because we still have the issue of reparations for victims and how that, that will work. You know, I have that sense that it's not like everybody says, OK, done deal, great, let's put that on a pedestal, it was fine. There's a lot that wasn't perfect about not only how he operated, but how the whole process operated. I thought it was really interesting to see how the process goes, because I did know, you know, listeners to the podcast will know that apart from my time in the former Yugoslavia, I also spent two years for AFP in Dakar. And I met Reed there in 2008 when he was advocating for this Hisen Habre trial. And at the time, Habre was uh, living in this fancy neighborhood of Dakar. Uh, and Reed was there with the activists to kind of pressure the Senegalese government to arrest him or send him to Chad or to Belgium. And that was all going on then. But you kind of see how it all kind of is also put together by just coincidences and things that happen and people that they meet along the way that can push it forward. And then when the trial was finally put on, it now serves as this kind of sometimes shining beacon of how you could have international law in a hybrid court in the countries, or at least very close to the countries it concerns very cheaply and very rapidly, which is what the trial was. But the whole lead up to the trial, if you see all the different organizations that get involved and the people that have to be pressured once, then you think that's not something you could replicate fairly easy. So so why are we upholding this as the kind of shining example of international law done right? You know, that's also something that really shone through in this book for me. I think another thing that I quite enjoyed reading and him grappling with to some degree was the difficulties that NGOs have in these situations, right? There's a, there's some discussion about him taking another job, whether or not Human Rights Watch wants him to stay on this, how you fund these operations. There's some discussion about Suleiman and like him coming to the US and then sort of having to live in like public housing because he doesn't have any money. And it does seem kind of ridiculous that you have all these, you know, Human Rights Watch people all over the world doing these projects, but they can't come up with any money for like this poor dude who's like, you know, really done a lot to sort of advance this case. And I think it's, I think it was interesting to sort of see like, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of priorities that these organizations have. And like somebody has to make tough decisions about what you're going to focus on and where you're going to spend the money on. And I do think that like that was a, that was an interesting thing to see the behind the scenes of, because I think we don't see a lot of that. 
And Suleiman Gengeng that Molly referred to is, of course, uh, he was at some point the president of the Chadian Victims Association and was the one that really, together with Jacqueline Mudena, worked with Reed Brody from the beginning to bring this case to justice and eventually also ends up testifying against Habre in the trial. I met the two of them together, Suleiman and Reed, and they make a real double act when they're operating on stage together. And Suleiman has this amazing sort of big black hat that he wears. But and you can see kind of mutual respect, but it is very much Reed saying, you know, Suleiman's the guy. Suleiman's the one who who held it all in his head, held all the details, held all that the kind of the whole pressure together. So, I mean, Reed is very clear that he owes a huge amount to this Chadian victim who made it all really happen. We also talked about some of the quotes that were, we find interesting. Some of this in the book, of course, there's some very moving testimony from victims. But one of the quotes I felt was really eye-opening was when Reed talks about the advocacy. And this is when they're trying to get the Belgian government to do something to make a move so that Senegal will be forced to keep Habre somewhere. And then he says, quirky little Belgium had stepped up once again and done the diplomatically unthinkable. And this comes the quotes that really had me thinking. The first rule of advocacy is that when somebody does what you ask, you lavish them with praise. Long live Belgium, Suleiman said in our press release, and we meant it. Belgium had only one bullet and they just fired it. And, you know, we have met Reed over the years in, in all kinds of ICJ situations. I met him in Dakar. And all of a sudden I'm thinking of all those situations where I've been, well, not lavishly, but at least praised by Reed Brody. And I'm thinking, you He's know. Been manipulating you yeah. all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is a genuinely really nice guy, but I'm also obviously a journalist that is very useful for him to be nice to because I write stories that then get in the media that he can use. Yeah. But I was all of a sudden thinking, ah, this is where all this lavish praise <laughs> comes from. Yeah, welcome to reality. Also, this is the guy, we have to say, that at the very first ASP that we went to as asymmetrical haircuts, when we just started this podcast, Reed, who is like, everybody knows Reed Brody in these things, he took one of our stickers and put it on his jacket and walked around with it, the entire ASP, so that everybody in the ICC would see our our sticker and our podcast. So didn't have to do that, but he did. So. Actually, I, you know, I've met him only briefly, and he seems like a very nice, you know, guy, kind of affable guy. And I really have questions as to whether or not he has any friends left after this book was published, because he does like not pull any punches. I mean, at some point, he calls the Belgians naive. He calls the UK Pollyanna-ish. He like cites a lot of people by name and then just immediately chucks them under the bus for like things that they did that he views as like bad or like inhibiting the progress of this trial. I wish I would like to ask him like how much backlash he has experienced. Because I I felt like the book was quite direct. You you know, sometimes you read these books about history and they like couch a lot of things and like, oh, some senior State Department official. And like, no, no, he's like, no, this is this guy's name. And like, this guy sucks. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) okay. What did you think, Janet? Do you think he has any friends left? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could say, I mean, he had the Belgian ambassador sitting next to him at his book launch at the ICC. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think you can actually speak truth to power in that sense and still be respected because people know that when he's being critical, it is because he wants something better to happen in the end. It's not just ad hominem, you know, just to be nasty to people. It's because he really believes that they could have actually 
pushed it harder and harder. Do you have any quotes from the book? I really liked, there was a lot of like kind of like funny bits in here, which I really enjoyed. I mean, obviously like this, the situation at Chad was horrific. The whole way that like, this guy continued to sort of be able to enjoy the safety and security of a, you know, villa in Senegal and like the fighting back against that kinds of stuff. I mean, I think like this is not per se like an, an easy read in that sense, but I, there's some really great, the scene where he can't get a, I, where is he trying to go? A visa to, is it Nigeria or Kenya? Sudan. Sudan. And he can't get a visa. And so like, he just takes his Hungarian passport and goes <laughs> to the embassy and just gets like a tourist visa. I thought it was like very entertaining. Also, there is a headline that he quotes from a Senegalese newspaper where Habre wins something. And they, he, they, oh. the headline is Habre Kadabra, which I thought was great. I just, I just thought that he did a good job kind of in like, bringing in the light bits that like could be sort of used to sort of make this a little bit less of a downer book. Absolutely. Did the Senegalese press get, uh, has some fabulous headlines. Yeah, they have some great headlines. Yeah, for sure. Cites a lot of them. So do we recommend this book to people or not? What's, uh, what's your view? Yeah, I would recommend it because it's very interesting. I also really, I, I wonder, and I wanted to ask both of you because I like it as well because I've been to Dakar and I've been to Senegal. So when he describes a bit of what he's doing in Dakar and Senegal, I'm with everything like, oh, I know this hotel. I know, you know, the stuff he's talking about. So I enjoyed reading it on that level as well. I wonder if you're really not into international law, if you are going to enjoy all the twists and turns. But uh, on the other hand, you know, are you listening to this podcast if you're not at least a little bit interested in international law? I pr probably not, unless you're Janet's lovely brother who will listen to it just because. <laughs> shout out to Janet's brother. Yeah, shout out to Janet's <laughs> brother. Um, so, yeah, I, I think definitely recommended. It's sometimes it's presented as a kind of how-to guide to go after dictators. I wonder if it's really that because you can see how much it's kind of shoestring together and by like coincidences and, and political movements. I think at least it's very inspiring for activists to know that, you know, the long road to justice, but sometimes it does come. I think it's a really great book. I don't remember if it was Janet or Yusuf who said it at the outset for people who are not in this world to sort of see how these things work. I think he does a good job of describing the different sort of twists and turns, why they are at the ICJ, why they are trying to do this here. How does immunity work? This kinds of stuff. I think a lot of the listeners probably know a lot of the stuff, but I think the people who are around you in your life who don't know a lot of the stuff, I think it is a great interesting read as to like how things wind through the system of international criminal justice. I definitely recommend it. I found it really amusing the idea that Beth Van Schaak, the US war crimes ambassador, bought copies for all of her staff, because I do imagine that these are people who know quite a bit about the field. But it, I can imagine why she wanted to do that, to give them a real feel of what's possible, of the, how you can through these twists and turns, you can you can make change happen. And that, you know, it's not a blueprint, it's not an exact roadmap, but but it's a great inspiring tale on that level. And I thought it also made very clear what victims don't know about what is possible. And I, I'm gonna hear you hear me ruffling because I have another bit of quote where he explains that at some point they get a Senegalese gold merchant, Abdul, who was also yeah. arrested by Habra and thrown in jail and then got out through some Senegalese diplomatic intervention. And he gets put on trial in Dakar 
And there's Rado, Senegalese human rights organization. And he, this guy walks in there because he heard somebody talk about him on the radio because they had found documentation that he was arrested and he didn't know those documents existed. So then he recounts in court that he meets up at this offices of Rado and talked to Reed Brody. And then he says, I told them my story, he recounted in court, and Reed Brody kept saying, I know that, I know that too, it's in the document. And I had no idea there were documents. And so I thought that was also extremely telling of that you can go through this, have this happen to you, but you know, in Senegal, there's so many other things to do and you're trying to survive and you're a gold merchant and you're not thinking about all this kind of legal things that could be there. And this guy is walking around, they're trying to find him for years. He just turns up and then he's amazed that somebody knows of his story and he's amazed at the level of documentation that Habre's uh, police division, the DDS, has of him. I also felt that very eye-opening because we, I think I have a kind of professional deformation that I think that people know of the different possibilities. And I guess, I mean, I'm sure they don't, but obviously somebody in Senegal who's a mid-level gold merchant is not really thinking about that. So... I also felt it was interesting, and it, in that sense, it shows also Reed in a very good light that he's actually, not only is he there advocating, but he has read all the documents and he knows what the case is about, and he can interact with somebody at that level when they present themselves to him. I mean, I didn't know anything about this before I read the book. I didn't really know any of this history. I, you know, I came into international law later, sort of after much of this had wrapped up, and I'd sort of heard references to, you know, the fact that they you know, Senegal put the Chad and the former leader of Chad on, on trial. And I think that was probably all I could have told you about this before. I thought actually reading the history is really good. Like Reagan just gets chucked immediately under the bus in the outset as he should. And then there's just this like, of course, it's like American foreign policy in the 80s. So there's like a name check of like Oliver North. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is not going to a good place once you name drop that guy. So I actually thought the history and stuff was like quite interesting. I didn't know a lot of this. And I, yeah, it was like, it was an interesting read from that perspective as well. Do we have a rating system? I don't think we should have a rating system. Mine is a sort of recommended or not recommended. It's a, it's a, it's a thumb or it's, thumb It's like five out of five advisory opinions. Okay, there's a, there's a positive advisory opinion yeah, from Janet. Yeah, there's a positive advisory opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think I, w- I would recommend this book to people. I think it is well done. I enjoyed reading it. I think it is well written. And I, I definitely think that there's probably some people in my life who I will gift this book to, to sort of give them a better understanding of like how my day-to-day work is positive for me as well and then on our regular main podcast we always ask our guests what they're watching listening reading to and now because we're always dying to talk about what we're reading watching listening to ourselves we thought we would blatantly use this podcast as an excuse to talk about the stuff we want to talk about so janet what are you watching listening I thought I'd pick one thing that I read over Christmas and I've already started lending out to people and it's coming your way, John, brother. I'm going to send it to you when I get it back from people because it's a book about Vilnius, which is a city that I have to go and live in for part of the next uh, few years. And it's by the big writer from Vilnius who actually lives in London. I'm going to struggle over saying her name, but it's Christina Sabalieskaita. She's an art historian by background. This is a slim book that she wrote, I think more than 10 years ago, called Vilnius slash Vilno slash Vilna. And the Vilna bit is written in Yiddish. And it is three imagined stories of three people from three different periods of 
Vilnius's history. The end pieces, you know, the inside parts of the book are one is in Yiddish showing the street names of uh, Vilnius, another one in English, I think, from when it was under Soviet occupation. And it's just quite a kind of skillful way of describing the various histories that this city has had from the perspectives of of three people. And the other reason why I picked it, apart from just getting to know the city, is she's written something more recently called Peter's Empress. In Dutch, it's Peter's Kaiserin, which has been a huge success in the Netherlands. And everybody in the Netherlands has has read it because it's been translated into to Dutch from Lithuania. It's not been translated into English, though. So I'm also putting this out to say, please, somebody, fund a translation into English. Otherwise, I'm going to have to read the blooming Dutch, which is not my... Because I'm not going to read it in Lithuanian. There's only this one book of hers that's been translated into English. But I really thoroughly recommend it. It's it's slim, it's vignettes, it's not, you know, it's not a big read. And I'll try and transfer it around people. What have you been up to, Stephanie? What have you been reading? I must admit I needed all my time to read the Read Brody book in time. To read read. And to read read. So uh, I haven't been reading something. I can't recommend anything other than his book, but I did listen, I always listen to lots of podcasts because now I have a very shiny new bicycle from my work through this very Dutch bicycle plan. So now I cycle an hour back and forth to Leiden from The Hague. And one of the things I listened to was a Radio Lab episode called Ukraine Under the Counter, which tells a story of kind of an accidentally put together group of people that is trying to smuggle abortion medication into Ukraine at the start of the conflict. And it links with a lot of things that we deal with on the show and also with with what I report on with my work with reports of sexual violence in Ukraine, but also this idea of how do you get aid into a country and out of the country and how all these things kind of hang together from, again, coincidences and people that you meet or meet online and, and how this works. So I thought that was really interesting. It's a two-part series. The next episode I haven't listened to because it hasn't dropped yet, but it might have dropped before we recorded this. And it's in collaboration with NPR's Rough Translation. I have two books I think I will recommend. First, I, over the weekend, I finished, finally, Roberto Bolano's 2666, which is a doorstopper of a book. I think it's like a thousand pages or so. He's an Argentinian, pretty famous Argentinian writer who writes a lot of like magical realism, maybe bordering on science fiction kind of stuff. The story is sort of about this German author kind of and a city in Mexico where a lot of women are being murdered, but it's incredibly good. It's very weird and very long, but I really, really enjoyed it. And the second thing that I just started, I think last night or maybe this morning is the French writer, the one who just won the Nobel Prize, Annie Ernaud, that is the uh, that is her name. And I just started reading Happening, which is about her experience getting an abortion in 1963 in France. It's very it's very short. It's like 60 or 70 pages, and it is very intense. I was I had to sort of put it down on the tram on the way in because she is apparently quite known for being very direct about 
things like abortion and, and sex, especially in this time. But I mean, even reading it 60 years later, it is it still is quite direct about how she kind of is grappling with this problem that she was facing and of trying to get an abortion when abortion was not legal in France. And I'm I'm really enjoying it. I actually picked up a second one of her books recently. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that too. Oh, well, I'm going to go wildly off script. And because part of the reason we have this podcast is so that we can pay our producer, Margarita Capacci, some money to get rid of all our ums and ahs and back chat back and forth. But I was wondering if Margarita wants to come on and tell us what she is reading or listening to or recommend anything so that our listeners also hear the voice of the person that they're supplementing by having this Patreon account. But I'm wildly putting her on the spot and I don't know if she has a good mic. So I can't vouch for the sound quality, but I'm curious to hear what she's listening to. Or I'm reading. not sure even if she's got any time to do any reading listening because I know she's been moving house recently. Margarita, tell us all about your reading, listening, watching. Over Christmas, I read a really nice book from, she's an American author called Madeline Miller. She wrote a book called The Song of Achilles. Yeah, great book. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I also read Kirche from her. I really like how she tells of the Greek like mythology, but make the characters really round and bear like a lot of emotions and it's just a very nice read. Thank you so much for for allowing my impromptu uh, off script bit and uh, for that recommendation. I think now Janet can be professional and wrap it all up. Yeah, I wanted to ask Molly to start with, are you going to come on again having experienced this once? I mean, I don't really think I have a lot of say in the matter. I think I've I've signed up for this, so I think I'm going to do it. But I believe next time we are reading The Lost Colony by Philippa Sands, which I also read and, spoiler alert, also enjoyed. So I guess you have hooked me in for, a, for at least just a follow-up podcast. I'm trying to kind of soft-pedal you into when we start reading books that we don't like. Or yeah, that are it's going to be a problem, I think. I mean, there's a few that I have not enjoyed, so I guess we'll get there eventually. I think there's a long list that uh, Steph's been putting together. I think she, her healthy obsession with uh, things Balkan shows yeah. through the list. So I think we will get through to some very strange books, memoirs of, of actual war criminals that we'll probably all be very annoyed by having to read because Steph's put them on, on the list. So uh, let's, uh, let's see where we get to over, the, over this year. Yeah, our idea was to not have our integrity too much harmed that any war uh, criminals a memoir that we would actually read, we wouldn't buy, but only have those that we could find, find available easily. online yeah. or in uh, yeah. or in those little free libraries that you have around the Netherlands. I'm excited, I think, to read also some fiction. There's a couple of fiction books on the list and to see, I think, that there have been some pretty bad and accurate portrayals of how international justice works in a lot of fiction. But I've also seen some people saying that there have been some good things. And so I'm curious to sort of see what happens when you get international justice portrayed by people, not who are experts, but who are, you know, writers sort of delving into this topic. I'm going to look through all of my Nuremberg books because practically everybody has got their take on what happened at Nuremberg, one of which I remember included that Hitler hadn't actually died, wasn't actually assassinated. That was a real load of crap, I can remember. Oh, I'm into a good conspiracy theory. Can we, can we, yeah, can we read one of those? That sounds like fun. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look back at all of my Nuremberg ones and uh, see, see what I can provide for you. 
Yeah, and also if you're listening to this and you think they should really read this book because I A love it or B hated it or it's ridiculous and it doesn't understand the ICC or whatever international court it's talking about at all, then please send us uh, your suggestions. Now, if you've read the book yourself and you disagree with this or you agree with this or you just want to talk to us about it, leave us a comment in the comment section of our Patreon page. I also made an alternative list that I'm calling War Crimes and Popcorn, where I list like films and TV shows. And I'm trying to get these ladies on board to have an actual movie night with bad international law movies and good international law movies. I don't think I, the, I think the last time I saw a movie was like 2019. So it's going to be a journey. There's going to need to be alcohol involved, I think, if you want me to watch a movie. Maybe we can have like a drinking game where every time they say international criminal court or they go in the court and say objection, your honor, <laughs> that you have to do a shot. Yeah, then we're all going to be dead of alcohol poisoning, which is going to be a problem for this podcast continuing and getting Margarita any money. Mm, yes. Yeah, it's been nice to join you guys. And I'm looking forward to doing more in the future. And I hope that I can encourage some people with my inappropriate swearing and otherwise terrible opinions about things to get some money donated. Absolutely. Talk to you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed our book club. If you want to hear more like this, you can support us on Patreon. If you don't want to do Patreon or you want to support us but not hear any more podcasts uh, or have any more books to read, then check out our website, which also has a tip jar for one-off contributions. Really, everything is appreciated. And uh, we wanted to say thank you so much to some of the new people who signed up in the last uh, week or so. Uh, let's say first person is Astrid Reisinger Corosini. Thank you very much, Astrid. And then we have Molly Reagan. Thank you, Molly. Lucy Gaynor. Thank you. Will Murray. Thank you very much, Will. Yeah, Will's, uh, Will's working at Humanity Hub. So it's really nice that we get some uh, contribution there because that's where we uh, make our podcasts, as you all know, if you uh, listen to the beginnings and the ends of our podcast, because we always try and give a shout out to Humanity Hub. And making it a family affair is our patron Ingeborg van Egmond, who is actually my sister-in-law. Thank you very much, Ingeborg, for supporting me. And we also have Mariana Gutierrez. And our final patron of this week is Yuck, who um, that's all we know about him her. So if you want to make yourself more known, then let us know. And if you don't, that's fine too. We appreciate the support. And we've already um, engaged with a few of our patrons and they've been suggesting new episodes to us and what they'd like us to cover. So if you want to join in as well and uh, tell us what else you'd like us to, to have on the podcast, do it as a patron, do it any other way. It's fine. We don't mind. Just, uh, you know, join in and uh, be part of the community. And we'll be back next week, um, hopefully with some new episodes. Bye. Bye. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast, created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. This episode was recorded at the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and you can find show notes and everything about the podcast on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. This show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.